Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. On the 13th of each month, I come out with a new episode focused on a cryptid that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings, although many of them are. Some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Today's cryptid is one that we've talked about many times, a cryptid that about a third of the population believes in. Aliens. But today, we are talking about the incident that sparked the fascination with UFOs and little gray men in the sky. We are talking about the Roswell Incident. There's no Weird Club segment today, just me. Let's dive in. This case is absolutely the most famous alien and UFO incident to date. Not only did it change our understanding of unidentified flying objects, it also was the foundation of our distrust in the government surrounding cases like these. So, we are going to go over the timeline of the incident, and then we will focus on two major theories of this case, whether there is a plausible explanation, or whether something otherworldly was involved. This all began in 1947, only 10 days after the Kenneth Arnold flying saucer sighting near Mount Rainer in Washington. However, our story begins between mid-June and July 4th, 1947. There are some conflicting reports about when exactly the debris was found, but we know it was sometime between those dates. A rancher named W.W. Mac Brazel was visiting his remote ranch in Lincoln County, New Mexico. Because of its location, there were no phones nor radios, so Brazel hadn't yet heard of the Arnold sighting. Brazel found wreckage of some sort of aircraft crash on his property. The debris was made up of tin foil, rubber, and thin wooden beams, and was scattered across a square mile of the ranch. But once he started to hear of the flying saucer sightings around the country, he thought that maybe what he had found was one of those strange crafts. So, on Monday, July 7th, Brazel gathered his findings and brought it to Sheriff George Wilcock of Roswell. That is when the sheriff called in General Roger W. Ramey on the Roswell Army Airfield. And he assigned Major Jesse Marcel to go out and investigate. The next day, the newspaper headline read, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. Here is a quote from the article. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chaves County. And so, locals who had witnessed something in the sky that night felt validated. Now that the public is involved, General Roger W. Ramey orders the remains to be brought to him in Fort Worth, Texas. And so the next day's news headline read, Disc craze continues. Army disc counts New Mexico find as weather gear. They even had a photo of Major Marcel posing with pieces of the supposed weather balloon debris as proof. 
But after this article came out, the Roswell Daily Record published an article with the title, Harassed Rancher Who Located Saucer, Sorry He Told About It. Brazel went on to say that he found rubber strips, tinfoil, a rather tough paper, and sticks. But after this, the world just drops the story. No more attention was brought to it, and people seemed to have moved on, except the ones who were involved with the case. Okay, so now there are basically two main theories to explain what happened. The first is military-based, and the other is extraterrestrial-based. And so, we are going to explore both. But let's start with the good stuff. Authors Thomas J. Carey and Donald R. Schmidt did a lot of research and conducted interviews for their book, Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the UFO Cover-Up. They were able to uncover some discrepancies in the stories. First big thing is that it was reported that more than 600 people witnessed something in the skies of Roswell that night. Now, this is important because what you need to keep in mind is that these next things technically do not point directly to aliens, but they definitely point to the military covering something major. Neighbors and family members said Brazel was reportedly detained by the military right after he did an interview with a local radio station, which we will get to. But shortly after Brazel changed his story for the military, neighbors reported that he purchased a new pickup truck and left his job as a rancher to start a business in Alamogordo, New Mexico. But he wasn't the only one the military was talking to. It was also reported that the military threatened locals to stay quiet and ransacked homes for crash site materials. This fact was confirmed by the foster daughter of Colonel Hunter G. Penn, an Army Air Force officer. He apparently admitted to her that he was tasked with enforcing an information blackout with a focus on the little bodies, authorized to use physical force and weaponry if necessary. Now, let's dig into these bodies. Frank Joyce of KGFL radio station said that Brazel admitted that the crash site was likely a UFO and that there were even alien bodies discovered there. Judd Roberts, the owner of the radio station, said that this admission was recorded but did not air due to phone calls from FCC and U.S. Senator Dennis Chavez urging them not to. It was reported that the alien bodies were short, around 3.5 to 4 feet tall, with large head, eyes, and only holes for a nose and a slit for the mouth. The three people, other than Brazel, that claimed to have seen these bodies or knew about them were Hot Arthur Exon, a brigadier general, and Herschel Grice, a tech sergeant. Then, in 1995, a video emerged. The video is known as the Alien Autopsy. It is a 17-minute black-and-white film supposedly depicting a secret medical examination or autopsy of an alien by the United States military. The video was released by a British entrepreneur named Ray Santilli. He said the video shows an authentic autopsy on the body of an alien that was recovered from the Roswell crash. He said he obtained the footage from a retired military cameraman who wished to remain anonymous. The video shows what looks to be a female alien with a major leg injury lying on an operating table. Some have claimed that the alien 
even looked to be pregnant. The television network Fox aired a special titled Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction. It was aired three times in total and gained about 11.7 million viewers. But it was revealed in 2006 that the film was not real. But Santa Lee claimed it was a staged reconstruction of footage he claimed to have viewed in 1992. He said he couldn't show the original footage because it had deteriorated and became unusable by the time he made his film. He did say that there were a couple frames from the original within the footage. However, the original film strip has never been verified. But let's keep going because we are far from done. Blanchard was put on leave after he offered the initial report to the media about the flying saucer. However, someone under Blanchard said that this was just a cover for him to lead a cleanup operation of the crash site. Later, the personal pilot to the chief of the engineering division at Wright Field, Major General Lawrence C. Gregory, came out and said that he flew him out to Roswell to examine the crash and then flew him directly to D.C. to meet with President Truman. Gregory would go on to be the founder of the Project Sign, which was the first official investigation of UFOs by the U.S. Air Force. So perhaps this incident sparked a curiosity inside of him. Let's shift our focus back to the news articles that came out in 47. When the photo in General Ramey's office with the balloon came out, Lieutenant Walter Hott, a public information officer, wrote a letter that was only to be opened after his death. The letter explained that the photo was a hoax and that the actual crash materials were substituted for a weather balloon. The debris was explained as a memory medal. It was weightless, smooth, thin, and could not be cut, scratched, or even burned. A U.S. air pilot named Sergeant Earl Fulford said, I picked it up, but once in the palm of your hand, you could wad it up into a small ball. Then, when you let it go, it would immediately assume its original shape in a second or two, just like that. This was supported by many other witness statements. Exxon said there were other parts of it that were very thin but awfully strong and couldn't be dented with heavy hammers. On September 15, 1950, there was a conversation between physicist Robert I. Scharkbacher and the other government scientists that came out. In it, Scharkbacher said, All we know is that we didn't make them, and it's pretty certain they didn't originate on Earth. In 1978, a UFO researcher named Stanton Friedman interviewed Marcel, and he still said he believed it was not a weather balloon. Marcel said, It felt like you had nothing in your hands. It wasn't any thicker than the foil out of a pack of cigarettes. But the thing about it that got me is that you couldn't even bend it. You couldn't dent it. Even a sledgehammer would bounce off of it. I knew that I had never seen anything like that before. It was not anything from this earth, and I'm quite sure. Being an intelligence officer, I was familiar with just about all materials used in aircraft and or air travel. This was nothing like that. It could not have been. Friedman went on to interview more people, both military and civilian, and concluded there had been a massive cover-up. He called it a cosmic Watergate. Marcel went on to say, all I could do is keep my mouth shut, and General Ramey was the one who told the newsmen what it was, and to forget about it. 
it was nothing more than a weather observation balloon. Of course, we both knew differently. Jesse Marcel's son, Jesse Marcel Jr., wrote a book titled The Roswell Legacy. In it, Marcel Jr. says that his father actually brought home some of the UFO wreckage. He was able to see and hold some of the debris. Marcel Jr. said, I could see what looked like writing. At first, I thought of Egyptian hieroglyphics, but there were no animal outlines or figures. They weren't mathematical figures either. They were more like geometric symbols, squares, circles, triangles, pyramids, and the like. Okay, so now we have talked about all the good stuff. Let's move over to a different theory that involves a lot less green men. In 1994, the U.S. Air Force admitted there was a cover-up. However, the cover-up was not about UFOs or aliens, but instead, it was a top-secret military operation. They are sticking with the weather balloon, but adding in that it was part of something called Project Mogul. It was led by Dr. Maurice Ewing at Columbia University. Dr. Ewing theorized that since mics underwater could pick up sound waves made by explosions thousands of miles away, mics in the air would do the same. Balloons launched to listen for nuclear tests done by the Soviets, and so balloons were tested out several places around the U.S., and one was over New Mexico in the summer of 1947. These balloons were measured over 600 feet long and had a tail with several listening devices attached. In February of 1994, the General Accounting Officer of the U.S. Congress conducted an audit at the request of New Mexico Congressman Steve Scheif. Scheif was a UFO skeptic, and so he wanted to locate all the records surrounding the incident to determine if it was handled properly. A year later, the U.S. Air Force published the report, the Roswell Report. But the conclusion was that the audit supported the theory that it was from the weather balloon and that there was no evidence of aliens or UFOs. Then, in 1997, the Air Force released another report, the Roswell Report, Case Closed. This new report offered a possible explanation for the claim that alien bodies were found at the site. In the mid-1950s, the military tested the effects of parachute jumping on humans by dropping human-like dummies over New Mexico. These dummies were made from latex and had plastic skin. But this was in the 50s, not in 47. The biggest excuse the military has is that witness reports sometimes get compressed, and that would explain the almost 10-year difference. Basically, they are saying that this all would have happened in the 50s, but people thought it was 47. I don't even know how to understand that because it simply is ridiculous. However, there is one very interesting thing this report brings up. When records were requested from 1947 in Roswell, it was found that all records for that time, meaning January through October, had been destroyed, and no persons or groups were listed for ordering the records to be destroyed. So now that the evidence is destroyed, there is nothing to look back on other than witness testimony, which can be a tad bit unreliable. There have been two archaeological digs conducted on Foster Ranch, the supposed crash location, in search of physical evidence, but 
turned up nothing, only proof that there was, in fact, a crash. But the thing that should be mentioned is that the term flying saucer at that time didn't have a clear meaning yet, so this was the first time it was clearly defined as aliens rather than something just unknown. This incident is one of the main reasons why that term has become synonymous with extraterrestrials. Now, there was one more theory proposed in Annie Jacobson's book, Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. According to Jacobson, an unnamed engineer from Area 51 said that there was an unconventional plan to induce widespread American panic implemented by Soviet strongman Joseph Stalin. This program was apparently adolescent children were deformed by the Soviets to resemble aliens and then deployed in an aircraft to fly over New Mexico. The whole idea of this was for the children to emerge from the crash and scare the United States, which would then cause widespread panic and overwhelm the radar system with false UFO sightings. Now, there isn't any more to this theory, and it does bring us to the end. We may never know what really happened in Roswell. What we do know is that the U.S. military has confirmed the existence of unidentified flying objects, and that is a major step forward. I personally think that something really did happen in 1947 on that ranch, and it was definitely something the government didn't want anyone else knowing about. I'm leaning towards the alien theory myself, but what do you think? Are UFOs and aliens really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for others to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. One month from today, I will be covering a case that involves a very famous cryptid, a special case where a Bigfoot may have been the culprit of multiple murders that eventually led to an entire town to pick up and flee. The Nantinuk. See you next month. This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Sykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.